Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Acts 21, starting in verse 17 this morning. If you need a Bible, there should be a black hard back ESV somewhere near you in the pew. And uh, you will need it. We're covering a lot of scripture this morning. And uh, Lord willing, we'll actually make it into chapter 22. So that will be uh, great for us. Uh, last week, we were unable to finish the, the sermon. So uh, the third point of last week is the first point of this week. And then we're going to pick up from there and, and keep going as we look at living in God's will, part two. Living in God's will. So here we are, the Apostle Paul. He's on his last leg of his third missionary journey, and he's on his way to the city of Jerusalem. He's been warned repeatedly over and over by prophets and various believers and different congregations and different churches that he should avoid Jerusalem because there is certain imprisonment and chains that await him, yet he is still continuing to move forward with conviction. Paul's collected money as he's gone throughout his journey, and he's collected money to take to the church in Jerusalem. And so he is going there with a token of love and a token of unity from the Gentile churches to the Jewish church in Jerusalem. And he's got an entourage of believers with him, and he's rolling up into Jerusalem at just the right time to continue living out a life that is in God's will. So last week we asked this question, what is the will of God? And the definition or answer that we work through is the will of God is that which he approves of and that which he sovereignly determines to bring about. God is sovereignly in control of all things. Though the world may seem chaotic, though things may not go as planned, God is sovereignly in control. And he is working out all things for his glory and for his purpose and so we get to live out the will of God by living according to his word and according to his will. I asked this question last week, do you ask the Lord to show you his will or do you decide each day how you want to live and what you will do? Living in God's will is a process. It's a daily process, a moment-by-moment process of making decisions regarding what to do and what not to do when it comes to God's word. Each and every day we make a decision whether or not to follow the will of God by following the word of God. And if you, can't, you can't know the will of God if you don't read the word of God and you can't follow the will of God if you don't obey the word of God. And so if you're living outside of the will of God, it means you're living outside of God's word. So would you say that your life is a life lived to the will of God? Scripture points to what that looks like in the New Testament as a believer. The key verses that we looked at last week, verse 21, 14. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Paul could not be persuaded not to head to Jerusalem. No matter what they did, no matter what they said, he was going to follow God's will for his life. Let the will of the Lord be done. Today we see in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 22. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. Paul, this was, this was the will of God for you, for you to see Jesus Christ there on the road to Damascus, to hear his voice, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Paul is living out the will of God. So last week, these first two points, and then we'll jump in so you kind of pick up where we are. Those who live in God's will seek out other disciples. We looked at this as we live in God's will by pursuing and participating in gospel fellowship. 
So pursuing, it's not easy to be a part of gospel fellowship. It is almost like everything in this world tries to pull you away from, from separating that time on Sunday morning or, or the Bible study time. Everything else kind of works its way to get in the way of that. And so you, we have to pursue spending time in gospel fellowship. It doesn't come natural. What also doesn't come natural is participating in gospel fellowship. We've all been given a gift. God has given us a gift by his spirit if we've received him in salvation, and we're to use that gift for the mutual upbuilding of the church. So not only do we pursue that gospel fellowship, but we participate in that gospel fellowship for the will of God, which is to build up his church. Number two, those who live in God's will submit in obedience to God's call. So not only are we pursuing and participating in, but we are also submitting to God's call on our lives. And what is that? That's living obedient through the conviction of the Holy Spirit and living out the Great Commission. That we have been called to live out the Great Commission, and we can't live out the Great Commission unless the Holy Spirit is within us, convicting us and leading us in that direction. So what does it look like to live in God's will? Well, we're going to keep going today and find that out. But first, I'm going to pray for us because we've got a lot of Scripture to cover. So get your Bibles ready. So let's pray. Father, the cross has the final word. What a wonderful thought today that there was nothing in us, nothing good in us that is worthy of salvation, but Jesus Christ, you paid that penalty for us. So Lord, we thank you for sending your son. Jesus Christ, we thank you for being the ultimate sacrifice and now sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And we thank you for your spirit that now seals us and indwells us and empowers us and convicts us to live a life that is empowered by you, not of our own being, but you living in and through us for your glory. Lord, we desire to be a church, to be individuals, to be followers that live out the will of God. Father, we thank you for your word. Lead and guide us through this narrative today. Speak to us through your spirit and enlighten us to your will. In Christ's name, amen. First thing I want you to see is those who live in God's will show an ongoing effort for Christian unity. Not only are we pursuing and participating in, not only are we following in conviction and with the commission, but we are now in an ongoing effort to maintain the unity that we have in the body of Christ. So verse 17, verse 26 through 26, let's read that. When he had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. They have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do, therefore, what I tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what has what have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance to the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment 
that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took them in, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled, and the offering presented for each one of them. What an interesting turn of events. Paul shows up. He shows up and he gives this report of all the great things that have been happening, all the Gentile believers that are coming to the Lord, and they praise God, and then they go to see James, more than likely the half-brother of Jesus, who's heading up the, the church there in Jerusalem. And James is like, listen, there's an issue, Paul. There's, there's something going on here, and you need to know what is being said about you. It's being reported that you're telling people to deny Moses, to walk away from the law, to not even circumcise their kids, and they're going to hear that you're here, and this is going to cause major issues in the church. So you're going to have to have an ongoing effort to maintain unity in the body. So what should we do? We live in the will of God, and God's will by working towards unity in the body, by fighting hearsay, and heresy. You can see where they all agree, listen, we've already sent out the letter to the Gentiles. There's nothing you must do to be saved, but it is to your benefit that you abstain from these things. So we're going to work towards the heresy that you have to follow all these ceremonies and the heresy that you have to be these people in order to be saved. No, we're going to fight against that, but you also have to fight against hearsay that happens in the church. Can you believe that from the very beginning, where James, the half-brother Jesus, who's heading up the church, and you got the Apostle Paul, who's the missionary, are all part of a church where there is hearsay and gossip and slanderous things being spread. No. No way. The church would never talk like that about other brothers and sisters in Christ, would they? No, everyone in the church actually is very understanding, right? Everyone in the church, they, they realize that everyone else is on their own sanctification path, and so therefore we would never do anything to say anything about someone else, but we would use our gifts to build them up in Christ so that we could see from one degree of glory to the next that God is working in their life. We would never tear them down and kick them out, would we? You see, there's an issue here in the early church where Paul was not meeting the standard that they thought he should meet. Can you believe that? The Apostle Paul not meeting the standard. He's living his life for the will of God. Rumors, gossip, speculations destroy the church. They destroy the church. They destroy the church's reputation. They destroy the unity of the church. And they wound believers. So if you engage in church hearsay, in gossip, in hurtful, judgmental speculations and accusations that tear down another believer's character and reputation, you are not living in the will of God. Let me just read that again. If you engage in church hearsay, in gossip, in hurtful, judgmental speculations and accusations that tear down another believer's character and reputation, you're not living in the will of God. Church, we are to be better than that. We're to live each and every moment surrendered to the will of God, working against hearsay and heresy, striving to live a life where people can know that Christ is Lord and Lord of all. Verse 22, what then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what I tell you. 
We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourselves along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance to the law. So James says, all right, I've got a plan here, Paul. They're going to know that you're here. They're going to be all up in arms about it with all this hearsay and all this gossip and all the things that are going on. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take these four men who are under a, under a, a ceremonial purification time, pay their expenses so that they can shave their head. You too need to go through this cleansing, showing not that you need to do this to be saved, but showing that you want to bring unity to the body by participating in this because you are a Jew. And then what they've been talking about, they'll see is, well, that's not really the case because we saw him do this. So we live in God's will by working towards unity in the body by fighting hearsay and heresy, but also by living for gospel holiness and gospel harmony. I mentioned this a few weeks back, but I want to reiterate the fact that there is gospel holiness that is required of all of us. Gospel holiness. 1 Thessalonians 3, 3-8. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual morality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger. In all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. What Paul's saying here is, look, the will of God for you is your personal sanctification, your personal holiness. It is for you to be holy as he is holy. He is working in and through you by the power of the Holy Spirit to convict you, to lead you away from the sins of the past, to be more and more and more transformed into the very image of his son. So this is the will of God for you. So if you stiff arm that and say, you know what, I'm just going to choose what I want to do because this is not really that bad of a sin for me. I'm just going to do what I want to do. You're stepping outside of the will of God and you're not saying no to a rule made by man or religion. You're actually saying no to God who gives you the Holy Spirit. Personal holiness, gospel holiness and gospel harmony. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. For though I am free from all I made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Listen, the Apostle Paul is fighting for the unity of the church by fighting against hearsay and heresy by becoming all things to all people so that he might win some for the sake of the gospel. And what happened to the Apostle Paul? Well, he's hanging out with this crowd and he's being this to these people and he's hanging out with this crowd and he's being this to these people. And you know what the church did? They began to have a lot of hearsay. Can you believe that Paul is saying this? Can you believe that Paul is doing this? Can you believe that Paul 
is there with those people? Can you believe I saw him sitting at that table with those people? You know what I even think? I think he's starting to teach things like this, that we shouldn't circumcise our kids, that we should do this and we should do this. And so all this stuff begins to build up. And Paul, seeking to live out the will of God, is seeking to live out gospel holiness, saying no to sin, working towards sanctification, but also working towards gospel harmony by being all things to all people so that all might have a chance to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. This is the will of God, church, for us to live for gospel unity through gospel holiness and gospel harmony. Living in God's will is being willing to forsake your own rights for the sake of the gospel. Living in God's will is being able to forsake your own rights for the sake of the gospel. Those who live in God's will can expect to be persecuted, number two. Pick up verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. Let me stop right there. So Paul's been going all throughout Asia. He's been going from town to town. He's been encouraging the saints, planting churches. And in each and every one of these towns, the Jews were getting mad and they were trying to stone him. They were trying to kick him out of town. They were trying to imprison him. They were causing all kinds of issues. Well, now they're all in Jerusalem and they see Paul walking through and they go, that guy looks really familiar. That's the guy. Let's get him. Okay, so that's kind of what's going on here. They stirred up the whole crowd and they laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because the violence of the crowd for the mob of the people following, crying out, away with him. Wow, that escalated quickly, didn't it? Paul, seeking out gospel holiness and gospel harmony, they still recognize him and they throw out hearsay and accusations. They begin to beat him. There becomes such a, a, a major scene here that, that the soldiers, the tribune, he comes down, he would have been in charge of a thousand soldiers. They come in and they have to bring order to the mob mentality and it gets so bad that they arrest Paul and to get him out of there, they have to pick him up and carry him on above their heads so that the people can't get to him anymore. Those who seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3, 12. Paul, seeking to live a godly life in Christ Jesus is being persecuted. You have to ask yourself, why? 
what on earth did Paul do to deserve such harsh treatment? I mean, it seems like a guy that is really full of grace and mercy and love and seeks to show others the way of Christ, and yet there's such hostility towards him, such hatred towards him. Why are Christians hated? Why are Christians hated today? John writes this in 1 John 3, 11 through 13. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Why are Christians hated? Why did Cain murder Abel? Why was Cain so mad? It says right there, because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. You see, Abel's goodness exposed Cain's wickedness. Abel's righteousness was a conviction to Cain for his unrighteousness. Abel's devotion to God was divulging Cain's disregard for God, and he couldn't stand it anymore. Listen, when we live our lives out for the will of God, there's going to be a world that does not like to see what we represent, and so they're going to lash back out at us for following the ways of God. Living in God's will in obedience to his word exposes the wickedness of unbelievers. So don't be surprised. No one likes to be told that what they're doing is wrong and sinful. If you look at the world that we live in today, you can see a world that does not want to be told that what they're doing is wrong. You can't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. You can't tell me what I'm doing is sinful. I'm doing what's right for me. Well, don't be surprised when your life speaks differently to that and exposes the wickedness of this world, and then there is a lashing out towards you because of what you represent. John 15, Jesus said these words, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Listen, Jesus says, I have chosen you. You are different than the world. Therefore, you're going to look different, and you're going to expose the world for what it is. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Living in God's will exposes the wickedness of this world, but it also illuminates the gospel. Living in God's will is living in such a way that our lives illuminate the gospel. But we cannot illuminate the gospel message that God is creator, that men are sinners, that Jesus is our faithful redeemer and repentance is necessary for salvation if we aren't living in such a way that exposes the wickedness. If we aren't living in such a way that illuminates the power of the gospel in our life. This is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16, Sermon on the Mount, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. 
And it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Listen, live your life in such a way that it illuminates the gospel and people begin to glorify God for it. But understand this, that as you begin to shine your light, you will also shine in the darkness and the darkness does not want to be exposed. And so it will lash back out. But if our life doesn't expose sin and the depravity of the world and it doesn't illuminate the gospel, then we aren't in danger of persecution, but rather we are in danger of pretense. The vast majority of the church in this world that we live in is in danger of pretense, in danger of saying that we believe in something and yet our lives never represent what we say we believe. We say the gospel changes us, but yet we never show a life that has been changed. We just rate sin. Well, that's a big sin. Well, that's a little sin. Well, everyone's doing that sin. I can get away with that sin. But there's a personal gospel holiness that is driving us to live a life that is a witness to a world that is darkened by wickedness, that we live in such a way that we expose that, but yet we also illuminate the gospel that draws people in, like, you know, those really awesome uh, bug lamps you put on the back of your deck, and it just draws those bugs in. You can watch that for hours. It's such great entertainment. Whoa, that was a big one. You know? We should live our lives in such a way that people are just drawn to Christ. There's something so different about you, and it's not that you're legalistic. It's not that you're following rules. In fact, you're all things to all people. There is something so remarkable about how you're living your life that I just want to know more about Jesus Christ. We draw people towards Christ by the way we illuminate the gospel, but we also expose wickedness by not indulging in the same things that the world indulges in. Paul writes this in Ephesians 5, 1 through 11, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual morality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who covets, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time, you are in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead, there it is, expose them. Church, we are called to live a life that illuminates the gospel and exposes wickedness in this world, and we can't do that if we are still partaking of those things and calling them okay. Try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Try to discern what is the will of God for my life today. What direction, what decisions do I need to make? Is this decision working towards my sanctification or working against my sanctification? 
try to discern what is the will of God and take no part in unfruitful works of darkness. Let me ask you, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you've given your heart and life to Jesus, is your life a light or is it still partaking in the unfruitful works of darkness today? Let me ask you, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Have you given your heart and life to him? Are you living a life that is trying to daily discern the will of God or are you dimming your light by joining in the unfruitful works of darkness? Third, final point this morning. Those who live in God's will use persecution as a platform to proclaim Christ. 2137 through 2221. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led our 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Can I just pause right there? <laughs> Paul has been, he's been beaten. They were trying to kill him. The soldiers come in. They put shackles on him. They pick him up over their heads. They carry him out. And then Paul says, hey, can I say something to the crowd real quick? Can I just, can I just give them my testimony? Are you serious? How many of you, if you'd been beaten by people, You'd been shackled, you'd been picked up by soldiers and dragged out of this place would say, hey, real quick, before, before we do all this legal stuff, can I just give my testimony? Leveraging his life, taking that moment of persecution to proclaim the gospel. Verse 40. When he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hands to the people and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born of Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Galamel, according to the strict manner of the law of your fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From then I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone all around me. And I fell on the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I cannot see because of the brightness of the light, 
I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came to Damascus. And one, Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that I was in, uh, that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. That's a lengthy narrative there as he stops and he motions to the crowd and he says, Let me just give them my testimony. You see, living in the will of God, living in God's will, it's stewarding your circumstances and leveraging your life as a means to proclaim the gospel. You want to know how to be in God's will? Steward your circumstance. I don't know what circumstance you're in right now. I don't know if you're in sickness or in health. I don't know if you're in poverty or if you're in riches. I don't know if you're in this workplace or this workplace. I don't know if your home's in this situation or your home's in this situation. I don't know what your circumstance is, but I know that you are to steward that, that circumstance for gospel proclamation. God has placed you exactly where he wants to place you because he's a sovereign God and he's called you to be about his will. So leverage your life as a means to proclaim the gospel. Paul gives his testimony. He says, this is it. This is my life. This is how I've lived. This is why I live this way. I want to be a good steward of what God has given me. 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11 say this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. No matter what is going on, no matter what gift God has given you, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, you are to steward that circumstance and the gifts of God's grace to further his kingdom in everything. This is God's will. God's will is for us to be good stewards of the life that he has given us. Eternal life. So, leverage your life means proclaim your testimony. What's your testimony, church? When's the last time you told somebody your testimony? When's the last time you stewarded a circumstance that you were going through or someone else was going through to tell your story to give glory to God? So, your former condition. Paul said in verse 3, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus, in Cilicia, 
but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Galamel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God. As all of you are this day, I persecuted the way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear witness. This is my former condition. This is who I was before his faithful call. Do you remember the day you were called? This is what, this is what Paul just said. I remember that day I was on the road to Damascus, and it was a bright light, and it, sh- it, sh- it blinded me. I've never been the same since that day. He faithfully called me. Verse 6, I was on my way, and I drew near to Damascus. About noon, there was a great light from heaven suddenly shone all around me. And I fell on the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see how personal Jesus takes the persecution of his church. He said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, 8 and 9, he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Listen, it was a faithful call that he called you, so don't be ashamed of the testimony that he's given you. Now, on Labor Day, I had a great opportunity of going hiking with my family. We decided we would go look at a waterfall, we were going to go hike, we were going to do a picnic, we were just going to explore. We found this little hole-in-the-wall restaurant, those are always the best, and we decided we wanted to sit next to the river, and we didn't realize it, but that meant we were sitting in the bar area outside, and we're surrounded by all kinds of people, and we got to a moment where our food came out. Well, let's pray for our food. So I asked my daughter, I said, will you, will you pray today? Pray for our food? And we all bowed our heads and we all prayed for the food. And then we ate that food, right? Praise God. And it was delicious. Didn't think anything about it. Towards the end of our meals, we're finishing up. This man who's been sitting down the bar from us for a while walks over, points at me. Can I say something to you? Yes, sir. Yes, yes, you can. <laughs> Don't ever stop praying. No matter how crazy this world gets, don't stop praying because that was a blessing to me. I told you weeks ago, the world is watching our witness and they're reading our lives before they'll ever read the Bible. Is your life one that has lived for gospel holiness? Are you living in a community of faith for gospel harmony? Are you pouring out your life as a drink offering for the Lord because of his faithful call on your life? He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It was nothing that you did. You were not good enough. You didn't show that you were good enough. It was his faithful call called you out. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ who calls you to a life of holiness. 
And he gives you a fruitful commission. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will. Church, he has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, to hear his voice, the voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. A fruitful commission is to live in light of God's will. It is to stop living in the unfruitfulness of darkness and to begin living each day as a steward of your current circumstances. It is living in such a way that you look for opportunities to leverage your life story to be a witness of God's saving grace. You have been given a fruitful commission. So let me ask, when it comes to living in God's will, are you? When it comes to being a voice of his grace and his salvation, are you leveraging your daily life for his kingdom's advancement? Because it, it is the will of God for you. Can we pray? Gracious fathers, we long to know you to know you intimately, to know you personally, to be led by your spirit, to be convicted of sin that is in our life. Father, we would ask that you would, with a blinding light, shine down upon us. That you would illuminate in our lives the things that don't need to be there so that we can repent and repent today and turn from those things and follow after you. Father, we would ask that you would use our life that we would leverage our life story to bring you glory and honor and praise because you are worthy. Use each and every one of us individually, Father, to extend your kingdom. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand? Will you respond?